you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, Metamorphosis, Facebook's parents soaring after an earnings beat, the announcement of a hefty buyback and a new era of spending restraint. After hours, the stock is up almost 18%, and since bottoming last November, shares have doubled. We've got a deep dive on Meta coming up. Plus, Jerome Powell says he is seeing signs the Fed is starting to win the war on inflation, but adds that they're going to be cautious about declaring victory. Is that a dovish take? Dovish enough to keep the stock market rallying? And later, Apple and Amazon on deck trading those two tech titans ahead of tomorrow's earnings. Then, the ultimate hunting for yield edition of Would You Rather, dividend stocks versus Boring old mom and pop money market accounts, which is better in this environment. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ market site, a full Fed day desk for you tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Guy Dami, and Michael Kantopoulos of Richard Bernstein Advisors. We've got much more in Meta's monster move in just a moment, but we have to start off with a major post-Fed turnaround for the markets. The Nasdaq soaring 2% after the central bank further slowed the pace of rate hikes to just a quarter percent. The tech-heavy index posting its highest close since September 12th. The S&P also firmly in the green up over a percent. Even the Dow, which was down more than 500 points at its low today, managed to eke out a gain. Meantime, Treasury yields pulled back sharply with the 10-year yield falling below 3.4% for the first time in two weeks. And the dollar fell to its lowest level since last April. Stocks did close off the highs of the day. But does today's action suggest that the Fed has broken the back of the bears? Guy, we were postulating just yesterday yes, we in were. sunny Miami that the Fed has nothing to gain by being dovish. What do we get today? And it's interesting. I don't think they were particularly dovish. It's interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I need no help looking stupid. But when you <laughs> see a reaction like we saw today, I mean, it just reemphasizes exactly that. I mean, I thought today when the market was down 400, I'm like, all right, they basically said what they needed to say. The markets accelerate to the downside. No. I mean, the reversal today was really interesting. And look, we have seen good semi numbers. Tim talked about it for a while. That's encouraging. Some of the data is encouraging in so much that it gives the Fed air cover. But I'll sit here at a 4,100 S&P and say we're now trading close to 19 and a half times next year's numbers, assuming mm-hmm. we hit those numbers, which I don't think is going to happen. So this market went from being reasonable to being expensive seemingly over the last week and a half. It's almost like dovishness and hawkishness is in the eye of the beholder because I heard things like, <laughs> you know, substantially more evidence that inflation yeah. was tamed. I, I heard things like, I just don't see cutting rates later this year. Uh, and yet we got this outcome, Michael. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Melissa. I, I found him to be extremely dovish. I mean, I was expecting... Dovish? Dovish. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, I was expecting him to come in, guns blazing, shooting down the loosening of financial conditions, saying, listen, markets, you've gotten way too ahead of yourselves. You know, inflation's still a problem, right? I mean, you, you saw the employment cost index. And yes, on a three-month run, three run rate, Tim and I were talking about this earlier, You've come down a lot, but on a year-over-year basis, you're still north of 5%. The labor market's still hot. hot. Look at the jolts data today. I don't think you can, con- can declare victory at this point. And although he said we're not, it sure seemed like he did just by the nature of the fact that he 
didn't come in and hammer the markets. Well, right. he came in and so, if, you know, let's parse every word or let's actually go back to the go to the videotape, as Warner Wolf would say. And actually right wow, after that's, that's right. It really is when Global the videotape was a special <laughs> moment. You didn't get a lot of videotape. Now we have a lot of videotape in this world. Uh, but you have a case where at 235, so five minutes into the presser, um, you had the S&P down one percent. We know what happened. We, we had a 250 basis point intraday before at least almost a two percent reverse on the S&P. And we all know what the, the higher beta stuff did. But he started by pointing out that we are slowing the pace um, and that we actually are downshifting. But but implied and even said in that is we still have a lot more to go. Now, this is a market that 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 basically has the Fed priced in one more 25 and then we're done. It's a market that has the Fed pricing in 40 bips of cuts. It's actually now 35 or so. But 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 again, then later on in the press conference, what were the keys that had the market take off? One was the financial conditions dynamic. He does not care uh, as long as inflation is on a 2% path. And in fact, um, as the data has read, I, the, the divergence between the market and the Fed, he doesn't seem to care. Those are really important things. And, and again, at a time when the market um, often is right, and I'm going to probably say that the market is right, um, but I, I, I tell you, I don't think the Fed wants to go uh, this year at all in terms of cutting rates. But uh, the, the dialogue today um, from Powell said, either way, I'm more focused on the labor market right now. And then the labor market's something we have to worry about. Everything else has fallen in line. Yeah, so just to continue the sports analogy, you know how when you watch football, which I know you do often, and the half (laughs) is over, and they they get the coaches to just to say a couple words right before they go into the tunnel, and the coaches, teams ahead. You get that team coach, and he's like, yeah, we were, you know, we're very happy. The defense was good, but we got a whole second half, and so this is too early to call. So I I actually didn't think he was as dovish as the market seemed to think. I thought uh, that, to Tim's point, I don't don't see the, the easing. No, no at the end of the year. So I still think inflation needs to come in. So I don't know. I don't think it was I was not, if you told me exactly what he was going to say and exactly what right. they did, I would not have said this would be the outcome of three or four hundred point, uh, you know, jump from where the market was trading before that. Yeah. So, Karen, do you think but, we have so a full yeah. half half a football to play here? I and you're think a we do. About, we've you got, know, you know, <laughs> we've still got we've still got inflation. Yeah. And we haven't had China open, so that could ob- be inflationary as yeah, well. Exactly. So, you know, the game is definitely not over. Yeah, the, I mean, the th- if, if the market's pricing in cuts for later this year, right, the bond market. And it is. That, that's not good for risk. This is what I'm not reconciling. How do you have a 19 times multiple with the bond market saying that growth is going to be so bad that the Fed's going to actually have to cut rates. Because all equity you see is lower yields equals higher risk. That's right. They're not seeing the forest through the trees. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, Carter Worth talks about this. And we have thought yields would go lower, and they're moving, at least in tenure. And the inversion continues to sort of widen out. Right before our very eyes, it's gone from 49 basis points back to over 70 basis points. I think it's on its way to 1%, three and a quarter, four and a quarter, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I think it's going there. But that's not bullish. And again, financial conditions aren't tighter. They're actually looser than they've been. Right. In qu- which is he was crazy. asked that during the press he, he, well, he was not. He was not earnest about that because financial conditions are clearly looser than they've been in quite some time. So there's a couple things that have been really important about this week, including AMD um, yesterday, who, who was almost, you know, they, they were almost a, uh, a high multiple internet stock today. I mean, this is one of the biggest semiconductor companies in the world that, that was up 12.5% today, uh, but rallied 
after being up into the, the, the press release, rallied another 5% on what he said. And, and so the question is, AMD, who yesterday pointed out that, look, the first half's going to be tough. We've got an inventory glut. Um, but by the second half of the year, we actually see data center and enterprise customers actually reaccelerating. So the question is, where should the equity markets be? And what we're seeing is, and usually at, at the point in the market where you should be in a recessionary environment, where the market is re- almost having a, a, a relief rally on numbers that are actually slightly better than what were bad numbers. This quarter, that's exactly what we're getting. These revisions, there's been nothing good about the earnings season here. Let's be clear. It's been better than expected, but it's been downward. And this is what the phenomenon is. And I think this is where all the bears are going to say, look, it comes back to earnings. It comes back to multiples. Uh, and we don't have them here. But I can just tell you from market positioning and from where we've been and from a peak dollar, peak rates, peak inflation, peak Fed, This gives the market everything it needs. So we open the show with a question, and that is, did Jerome Powell just break the back of the bears? Mm -hmm. Did he? Did he? Or do you you sell this rally? Is this a rally to be sold? So let me be clear. What what I said was, I've been saying for a while, that if you see him, you're going to see a move one way or another in a meaningful way off this. And if you see it to the upside, it's probably going to trade to the August highs. I'm not bullish, but that seems to be what's going on here. We're through the 200-day moving average. But did it break the back? No, and I don't want to speak for Mike Wilson. He'll come on and say, to a certain extent, They've anticipated this, probably not to the extreme that we're seeing, but, you know, they thought we could see some, some, I guess, some enthusiasm early in the year, but then earnings are going to matter. By the way, earnings do matter. Valuations do matter. And, you know, a yield curve that's going to invert, I think, to 1% negative still matters. So short term, absolutely broken the back. I mean, I'm sitting here scratching my head, but I think people that can see the forest for the trees say, you know what, this is an opportunity to sell some stocks. All right, we'll talk more about the Fed and the markets a little bit later on. We want to get to Meta's big earnings beat. Shares are surging nearly 19% after the company topped estimates. It also announced a $40 billion uh, stock buyback. The conference call just getting started in the last few minutes. Julia Borson's listening in. She's got the numbers. Julia. Well, Melissa Meta's revenue of $32.17 billion beat expectations of $31.5 billion. And Facebook's daily active users hit $2 billion for the first time ever. The company even added 2 million daily active users in the saturated U.S. and Canada market. With average revenue per user of $10.87, that's $0.24 cents better than analysts anticipated. The company did take a $4.2 billion restructuring charge, which meant that the earnings numbers weren't comparable. Meta also pulled down its expense guidance to between 89 and 95 billion dollars, down from prior guidance between 94 and 100 billion. I spoke with Meta's CFO Susan Lee. She called this the year of efficiency. She told me that reels, though still a revenue headwind, are on track to becoming revenue neutral at the end of this year or early next year. Now, as for concerns about the ad market, she said, of course, it does continue to be uncertain, but she sees opportunity in the shift from offline to online ads and says they are doing everything they can to be competitive. Melissa, I'm going to jump back on that call. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson, if this stock gain holds in the regular session, this would be the biggest one-day jump in shares of Meta on the books. Um, It's an extraordinary move. Karen, what do you do here? Uh, Well, I'm uh, relief, a big exhale. Um, You know, we had talked for a while about is Zuckerberg going to change his tune about how much they're going to spend. So that seems to be clear, right? And at this valuation, um, you know, every $10 billion helps. 
So this is, I mean, this is really, really good news. The buyback, I like that, although they still, I think they had maybe 18 billion left on their prior buyback. So it's sort of an additional 21 or 22, but still, that's good. He cares about shareholders. And then, you know, the business itself, the revenue line, that's very good. I mean, I was concerned that things were getting softer, particularly on the heels of Snap, yeah. Yeah. right? So we see Google's trading up uh, three or four points in the market, uh, in the aftermarket. This is very good news. It's a big sigh of relief. It's difficult because it's bounced so much, so right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's sort of a move in a company the size of Meta to be up 100% from November 3rd. So your argument... It was down 74, though. Absolutely. It should never have been there. So the question always is, all right, well, if you go out long, you bought it right here. So I guess I, I bought it right here. Right. Do you hold it? Should you hold it? Well, as, as, as someone that's long Facebook and have been long you know, somewhere over the last three or four months, um, I think you're selling upside calls here. I mean, at, at a minimum, you're taking advantage of this upside vol because I, I, I think you know, the, the, the low-hanging fruit for Facebook was not only hearing about cut in spending. We all know we've been very concerned. Um, I, I, I said a few months ago, I thought if, if, if Marky Mark came out and said, I'm actually getting rid of uh, the metaverse, um, that actually the stock would rip. And a lot of people said there's no way you can do it. Um, I'm not, he will never do that. But, but what he's slowly doing is backing off the aggressive spend here. And, and there's, there's been a couple things that they've also talked about a, a $2 billion holdback on data, data center spend. They talked about CapEx that's coming in 30 to $33 billion. These are all great numbers. A $40 billion buyback um, cements the concept of a company that wants to make money and, and wants to return some of that money back to shareholders, which is everything we needed to hear, especially on a day when you hear that they have 2.96 billion MAUs. This is yeah. massive. I mean, no matter what you want to say and how uncool Facebook is, um, it, it's the platform here. And obviously, it's many different platforms, including Messenger and Reels, that are things that are important. Monthly active users in ARPU. Mm -hmm. Average, average revenue, revenue per user. user. Was better than expected. Yes, by the way, oh, guy, even better. That, I mean, that's the big ARPU. I, I think <laughs> Guy, I think guy <laughs> likes that word more than I do. He keeps using yes. it and attaching it to me. He uses it all right. the time. That's, I mean, for it's, no it's reason. Not, I don't attach every anything to this. ARPU, 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 this and ARPU. So, so what's the time is it? 5.13. So yes. at what point do we get the press release from the White House chastising face, Facebook for buying back money. $40 billion worth? It's actually a serious question. I mean, I guess they're allowed to do it, but if you're in the energy sector, you're not. So it's, that's going to be interesting to see, number one. And yes, it's... And, it's and a that's big, a rhetorical question, by the way, because we know that's never going to no, happen. No, it's not going to happen. It's never the going to happen. The metrics are great. Context is important, as Karen said, but ARPU's yeah. $58.78 in the United States. This same quarter last year was north of 60 bucks. So, yeah, there are a lot of things to like here. For you armchair technicians out there, and I'm sure there's some of them, Any. the gap higher... And the volume we're going to trade tomorrow, which is probably close to, I don't know, 150, 200 million shares, sets us up for a little Gap Island reversal. Doji star for you playing the home game. Just uh, throwing that out. I don't know what wow. just happened. Can you, wow. I'll tell you what that can you was. explain that in Jargon, jargon. Well, I mean, when, wow. yeah, we'll have Carter on tomorrow. But it basically, if you look at a chart, it'll have this little gap above everything yeah. else. And it'll be this little star formation. Okay. And then subsequently, we could see a reversal lower. And that's extraordinarily. What you call it? Doji what? Doji starts with a J, Tim. Uh, sorry. That's an actual term. I, I, Sounds me. Put it out on a okay. poll. Doji Star. Do you think I make this up? I'm just I've done this for how many years? Forever. Sounds yeah. like the Death Star. Um, <laughs> by the way, correction here. I said that this would be the biggest um, percent gain on record. It's the biggest in 10 years. 10 years ago, yeah. it actually had a gain of 29%. When, when mobile, when it was day. getting mobile together? Well, no, that was right I mean, when they started to show profitability. It was, like, it was, it was, no, it was, it was, it went from a concept to a profitable company. Yeah. Anyway, uh, for more on Meta's fourth quarter, let's bring in Deepwater Asset Management's Gene Munster. Gene, 
At 12.30, you tweeted that you thought December was going to be really ugly for Meta, and now we have this. What do you make of all this? I did think the quarter was going to be ugly in a year-over-year, down-year-over-year basis. And I also talked about the easing numbers going forward, and that was going to be one of the focuses. And what I make of this is the results essentially put investors at ease. And what investors need to know is that Facebook uh, meta is getting back on their footing. And what this translates to is revenue guidance effectively in line with the street, which addresses the macro ad concern. And separately on the DAU number, you're just talking about it, but I want to put a finer point on that. DAUs are up about 3% year over year, 4% year over year. But what really matters is U.S. and Europe DAUs. Those were up about 1%. But 70% of revenue comes from there. And so the second piece that they're getting back on their solid footing is that DAUs in their most important regions are, are okay, which means that TikTok is being held in check. And so this allows investors to look at the path forward here, which is going to be improving growth rates. And that's what I make of this. And just uh, if I can quickly uh, add a little piece relative to the earnings call, what Zuckerberg said, I was only able to join the first 10 minutes so far, but this plays into the improving numbers and why this is important about their uh, focus on efficiency this year. I mean, as if Zuckerberg is just saying exactly what investors want to hear, I mean, kicks off the call, his first sentence 2023 is going to be a focus on efficiencies. Their priorities, I mean, I almost had to do a double take on this here. First priority was AI uh, currently in products and AI in future products. Second was improving reels. Third was adding more features to message. If you notice, we haven't hit metaverse yet, and I never heard metaverse. I'm sure he talked about it by the time I had to jump off here. But what that tells me is Zuckerberg gets it, and that's important. So, Gene, thanks for coming on. So if we think that Zuckerberg has found religion, which is a reasonable interpretation, what's it worth? How do you think about valuing Meta? So if you factor in the 18 percent move here in after hours and what is likely going to happen to earnings, uh, because earnings numbers are going to be coming up uh, probably by 17 percent based on that five billion dollar and lower expenses that they're talking about for 2023. If you put all that together, it's going to be trading at about 15 times 2023. So it's had a huge move. It's doubled. It's still trading at a relatively uh, mild uh, or a a reasonable valuation relative to Google's at 19 times, uh, Microsoft's at 29 times. So when you put all that together, Karen, uh, you know, I think that this, uh, that a lot of uh, FANG, I'm not saying we're going to, we're in the clear for 2023 here, but it's probably going to gravitate to that low to high 20s number. And that would kind of imply, if you just do the rough math around just a multiple expansion, you know, that can imply kind of 30% upside from where we're at. Yeah. How do you extrapolate this to others, Gene? I mean, we're seeing the move in, in Google, for instance. Is this yeah, Facebook a big, specific? I mean, uh, everyone, present company included here, nervous about what the macro is. We're just not seeing it. And I think it's going to be a relief. It sets a higher bar, obviously, for Google. Uh, What's most important, uh, even beyond the advertising number, is that these behemoths uh, continue to be intact. I think it's a positive read on Apple uh, because they're intact. I think it's a positive read on Google. Uh, Hard not to be optimistic after seeing uh, their guidance. Gene, we're going to check in with you a little bit later on. Let us know if you hear anything from the call. Wave your hand. We'll do. See you later. Gene Munster, Deepwater Asset Management. That's good news. That's great news for the biggest part of the market, Michael. Mr. Bear. (laughs) (laughs) You know, listen, you've kind of got these companies out there, the large cap tech, 
that everybody loves to say are, are real companies, right? They generate real cash, they generate real profits. And, and then you have a lot of companies out there that have run a lot who generate no profits, right? And that's what really concerns me. I mean, I look at what the market is doing today and it feels very much like 2019. And the market's saying the Fed's gonna pivot and we're going back down to zero interest rates and the speculative fervor that you sort of had with zero interest rates takes off. And where does that manifest itself? It manifests itself basically in crypto, spec tech, non-profitable companies. And that's running with the Facebooks and the Googles and the large cap growth uh, names. And, and so I'm skeptical, right? I'm skeptical because I think a lot of this is driven by the expectation for Fed policy. Um, but listen, good earnings are good earnings, and doing good things are doing good things. So it's going to be somewhat name-specific as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the run has been extraordinary. And Karen pointed out, we talked about, last night I said, given what Snap said, you had to get out of Facebook ahead of it. That, look, clearly wrong. But at this point, what are you doing? Is it, does it make sense to continue to hold? Again, if you do see a huge volume day tomorrow, which you will, a lot's going to turn. I mean, I think the, right, the prudent thing to do is to take some money off the table and then actually look to potentially sell this thing short. Yeah, uh, we're up 19% almost on shares of Meta with the conference call still going on. We'll keep you posted. Coming up next, did markets get a little too excited after today's Fed decision? We'll be joined by former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart for his take. Much more on that ahead. But first, semi-surf, the chip stocks continue to shine this year. What's behind this move higher? We'll bring you that trade and more when Fast Money returns. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. AMD surging after yesterday's earnings report. That stock, the best performer in the S&P today. NVIDIA coming along for the ride up more than 7%. Semi-stocks up more than 22% already this year. Karen, how do you feel about these gains? I, they're I, kind of frothy. I mean, you know, we talked about yesterday when AMD reported, and it was good. It was, you know, there wasn't the greatest outlook. I thought there was maybe a little bit of conservatism there. Why not, right? And it traded well in the aftermarket, up a couple of bucks. This extra seven, I'm not really sure why that, I mean, obviously because people think, you know, the Fed's going to turn around, Fed's super dovish. 
I don't fully agree with that. What to do with the stock here? I'm still hanging on to it. You know, I, it's not cheap. I like it more than NVIDIA. Well, if you believe yeah. that the Fed is going to ease up and things are going to be pretty good, um, the economy is going to be all right, uh, then you want to be in a cyclical like semiconductors, right? I mean, this is exactly where you want to be. Well, exactly it, where you want to be. It is. And back back to the football game that Karen's mm. coaching. You, you, have a, <laughs> you have a case here where you have probably four different quarters of where this economic cycle is going. And you have four different market phases, too. And, and, and with semis, they're, so, they're such early cycle companies that we also saw them fall under pressure a lot faster. They were the ones with the inventory gluts. They're the ones that are going to work through that. And as I said, that was one of the reasons why people are encouraged by AMD. The question is, even the second half strength you see, is it really just more reacceleration off of finally working through a terrible headwind? Um, it's not all systems go, because if it was, you'd be buying them all right now. And, and AMD, which is up 42% in the last 17 sessions, and I talk all the time about how the semis have outperformed the S&P, that makes some sense on some level to a point. And, and the question is, this market is the greatest trading market of all time in my career, and, and this, is the, this is kind of the hallmark for it. I think you're going to get it's four quarters of football, and, and I think we still have more to play. NVIDIA is now trading at 18 times revenue. It's trading at 50 times forward EPS, which it's done in the past, but it's not like it's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, it's been there before, but to Tim's point, I mean, this is a stock that's now up over 100% since the lows we've seen. So it reports, I think, on the 22nd of February. We'll see. Is this a doji candle? No, it's not, no. because it's been an orderly move. Why so snippy with me? Check the Twitter machine. I actually put it on a Twitter machine what a doji star is. Okay. But do you really want to own cyclicality here? Because I think it, the, the, the crux of the argument is, you know, do you follow economic cycles or do you follow profit cycles? Right? And at, and at the end of the day, equity should follow profit cycles. Mm-hmm. And you don't buy cyclicality until the profit cycle is bottoming. And we're just starting an earnings recession. And that's what, that's what bothers us. But if you don't believe we're starting an earnings recession, well, and, and, time will tell. And, and by the way, and you guys have had a great call, and that's the right call, and, and except for the fact that, that stocks trade on momentum, and they, they trade on perception, and they trade on positioning, and they trade on a little bit of a catalyst will get you. But I, I agree, the earnings aren't there. Coming up, big tech on deck. Apple and Amazon ready to report earnings tomorrow. Will these tech titans hold up? We've got the options action on that sector. Plus, one of our trading traders making a move in LQD. What caught her attention? We'll bring you that and the trade next. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at the LQD. That is the investment-grade corporate bond ETF jumping after the Fed's latest rate hike. Karen has been short this one. What's the thesis on that? That spreads are really tight. Credit spreads are tight. Where if we're, you know, the economy is going to slow, that it's not a giant leap to think, well, credit spreads will expand and that we haven't seen that at all. And so it's also somewhat of a hedge. I do own banks, but I I think independently, I think that's a trade that could work. Yeah. And you like that trade. Uh, Yeah, uh, we love that trade. I mean, you know, you've never really seen a situation where the uh, investment grade yield is so close to the two-year yield. 
So you got to ask yourself a question. Why am I going to take liquidity risk, volatility risk, business risk, credit risk, when I can go get the same yield at the front end of the treasury curve and take none of that risk, right? And, and, and this is what bothers me with credit. You've got a situation, we're about to go into an earnings recession. The VIX is trading at 17 times, and a VIX is a representation of business risk. All that has to happen, if the VIX goes from 17 to 22, 23, spreads are going to widen. So I just see no value in credit at the moment. Well, it, and it's interesting because back in July uh, you know, of, of last summer when people were pointing out that at some point this is, as rates are moving higher, people were pointing out this is going to be one of the greatest opportunities for yield investors, especially in credit. Uh, and at that point, high yield spreads had moved all the way out to 6%. Those high yield spreads are now back into, I don't know where they are, Michael, 430, 430. 425? Yeah, yeah. So, so it, you know. Markets tend to, again, jump ahead of where you want to be. I, I believe that moving up the credit curve is what investors should be doing. You should be finding companies that are generating free class, cash flow that have pristine balance sheets, and you can get paid for that. Um, on a relative basis to where you were, were back then, no. On a yield perspective, it's a great time if you're with great companies who have to pay you more money. Yeah. We were just talking to Mike Wilson yesterday, and he's, what was his title? Chief U.S. Equity Strategist. Yeah. And he was talking about the value in, 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 in yields, yields and in bonds. Exactly. It's interesting, right? Over, over and, stocks. And, and listen, Karen's been on this trade. The LQD, which for a myriad of different reasons, traded significantly lower than the lows we saw in March, April of 2020. Now we're back to those March, April 2020 lows. A lot of it has to do with interest rates coming down. I get it. But credit to me is still the big concern out there that nobody's paying attention to. Probably rightly so, because the equity market's back on solid footing. But Given everything that's going on, it just feels like something is going to break in the credit market at some point, almost by definition, given the level of tightening we're seeing, given now the balance sheet's being reduced, and given that the market just doesn't see the complacency out there on top of everything And that's, else. The, fourth, yeah. that's, that's the fourth quarter of this game. Because, no, really, I mean, ultimately, that's if right. you have a growth... Well, I, I, I know we're killing this one, as we like to do. <laughs> we used to beat jokes silly in my house, yeah. and they get funnier and funnier. This is probably not that funny. You get to a place where also lower growth obviously puts a credit stress on people in addition to the move. So we've had phases of this market. First, we were pricing in uh, the Fed. Then we were pricing in recession dynamics. We will price in... Credit. Before we point. get to that point, doesn't the Fed step in? I don't know what the analogy would be. Time out? Oh. <laughs> when you say the Fed steps in, I think it depends yeah, on how exactly. There's a, a and why do they pivot? Point. They might throw a flag. Well, I think yeah, it depends on how high spreads they don't go. Want things to break in the credit markets. Yeah, they I think it depends on how wide spreads yes. get. Right. right? They don't want credit markets to completely freeze. Certainly, but uh, you know that's going to be a pretty terrible environment if they do so. And cyclicality is not going to hold up well in that case. Are you laughing at my I don't want, I don't want the Eagles to win the metaphor. Super Bowl. It might happen. There are a lot okay. of things right. I don't want to happen that are probably going to happen. I don't want the Mets to win a game next year. Oh, They're going to probably win a game next year. Just right. saying. All right. You're setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment, Tom. <laughs> Coming up, we've got even more big tech earnings on our radar, Apple, Amazon, and more on deck tomorrow. We'll tell you how the options market is playing a huge slate of earnings. But first, markets taking today's Fed hike in stride. But can the gains continue? Former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart will tell us what is next. More Fast Money coming up next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on how markets kicked off February. Major indices closing higher today with the Nasdaq up 2% after Jerome Powell's comments. Even the Dow rebounding from a 505-point loss to close slightly in the green. Energy, the only sector to post losses today, all but two stocks in that group closing down for the day. 
Well, our next guest questions the overall market's reaction to today's Fed decision. Dennis Lockhart was Atlanta Fed president during the financial crisis. Um, Dennis, always great to get your take. Um, you didn't hear dovish from him. Did you simply hear lack of hawkishness? Because I think lack of hawkishness in this environment is dovish. Well, a lack of hawkishness may be dovish, but I, I, what I heard was a measured, fairly balanced, non-committal in many respects uh, posture. They're, the committee is feeling its way along now and for this year and taking a meeting by meeting. I think for, for sure we'll see a, a rate increase in March, but after that, a question mark. I think Jay Powell was invited to give forward guidance and really didn't give much in the way of forward guidance. So, uh, you know, I thought I thought it was a balanced approach and therefore I didn't hear extreme dovishness. I just heard, uh, you know, some hawkish, some dovish kinds mm -hmm. of statements if you want to interpret things that way. He was also very diplomatic in how he answered a question specifically about financial conditions and how they are looser. Um, these days, and, and the, the question, the person who posed the question pointed to the stock market for one, rates coming down on the 10-year yield, et cetera. You know, from the perch of a, of a former Fed president, is the market reaction, is that something that the Fed actually watches? Do you think that it, it you know, that Jay Powell was, was glad to see the Nasdaq rally 2% off the back of its comments? I mean, is that the message that he, he really wanted to send? Well, He's probably not happy with anything that you would interpret as easing, quite frankly, in the battle against inflation. But uh, yes, the, the committee watches financial conditions, but I don't believe the committee thinks they can do much about financial conditions as determined by markets. And so they try to do their very best with the policy setting, try to depict the economy and to some extent give a sense of the future outlook and so forth, but they really can't try to get into a point-counterpoint with markets in order to tighten longer-term rates, for example. Mr. Lockhart, it's Karen Feinerman. Thanks for being on. So let me ask you, in terms of inflation and the labor market, what are the metrics do you think those two things have to get to for them to be able to not just pause, but even consider uh, reversing? Well, I thought there was a very interesting piece of information in this meeting, uh, and that is that uh, to some extent, Jay Powell dismissed annualizing the month-over-month -month numbers and concluding that we were at 2.5%. He went into some explanation that economists, and I'm, I'm sure that includes Fed economists, believe that there's a transitory element in goods inflation at that kind of annualized month-over-month 2.5% rate. And he seemed to settle on 4% as their sense of the underlying inflation rate. That clearly is too high. I think uh, when they get to 3% or lower, then they can begin to think, uh, conceivably begin to think about uh, reprioritizing a little bit and, and pausing. But if they believe the underlying is 4%, I, that is clearly too high. Um. Dennis, you know, when we think about uh, uh, the financial conditions, the market reaction, you know, the fact that the bond market is pricing in cuts for later this year, you know, I appreciate that the committee can't react and do a point-counterpoint with the markets with every meeting, but they must hate the fact that they're pricing in cuts. 
even though he said, listen, there's no expectation for cuts later this year. What would have been your communication strategy to say, if you were in his shoes, to say, listen, you know, we're not cutting. We don't know why the market assumes we will, because there seems like there's a credibility problem here. And I think the Fed needs to have credibility in order to be able to effectively, you know, get the point across. Yeah. You know, there were a couple of interesting uh, moments in the press conference, one of which for me was he came out and he said, we have different jobs. We, the central bank, have one job and the markets have market practitioners have another job. And he was in so many words saying, I understand different perspectives. He also said, you know, it would be ideal if the markets are aligned with the intent of policy, uh, but the markets aren't aligned with the intent of policy. Uh, I think he did about as much as he could do to try to jawbone the markets into lining up with the Fed. At the same time, this is just an outlook based on what they can see today. I mean, there were a number of occasions in which he said, you know, if inflation comes down faster than we think, we'll react. And therefore, the markets may not be wrong at the end of the day. And I think he, and he, he acknowledged that. Dennis, when I got the notes, that one sentence jumped out at me, the notes from from the pre-interview that you did with one of our producers. You said, as a shareholder, you're pleased the market had an enthusiastic reaction to the press conference. So you hold stocks. And so I'm I'm wondering if, I don't know if this is taboo to ask a former Fed president, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it because you opened the door saying you're a shareholder. (laughs) Do you trade your portfolio? And what is your view on the markets, given what you know about the Fed and, and where you think the Fed is going to go? Well, I am very much long equities in my, in my own uh, personal money, um, and even at my advanced age, I'm 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 almost 100% equity. Having said that, I am really moving toward uh, a, a passive portfolio with essentially ETFs and low expense ratio kinds of ETFs. So, I'm I'm actually transitioning at at, at the moment, uh, and that's. Uh, therefore, I'm not, I'm not going to take a position that I can predict the market. I'm just going to try to invest in America's long-term prosperity and, and long-term uh, economic strength and leave it at that. 100% equities, though. That's, that's, a st- that's a bold statement. We just had a strategist <laughs> yeah. from Morgan Stanley yesterday tell, tell us that he's recommending bonds. <laughs> he's telling his, yeah, his well, clients to the, look for yield. <laughs> all the advisors all the advisors tell me that I've got it wrong, but I just that, that's been what I've been for years. And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that approach. Can I ask you one more question? And that is, <laughs> within this 100% equity portfolio, Dennis, you know, like what what percentage is technology? I mean, are you like riding Meta with the 19 percent gain in the after session? You're cheering that on. I mean, what's the what does the Lockhart portfolio look like? It's pretty well balanced, actually. Okay. Um, and um, you know, I, I I'm just not believe I don't believe I can be a stock picker. Or I don't believe most people can be stock pickers. And so I I'm moving as I said, moving in the direction of passive uh, index funds. And uh, it, it's, a, it's balanced from small cap to mid cap to large cap growth value. Um, I'm not believing that I can be smarter than the market for the coming years. All right. Fair enough. Dennis, pleasure to speak with you. Hope you'll come back on the show. Dennis Lockhart, former Atlanta Fed president. Thank you. That was good, I, Missy. I always we should have him on in Tesla reports. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> who, who has a 100% no, good for him. Well, 
So, and so if he's been doing this for a long time, he's, he's done very well yeah. because the, the stock market has yeah. is, is outperformed over, over a period of time. And it kind of explains uh, the divergence between the Fed and the markets. I mean, it really mm-hmm. ultimately um, the argument here is that the markets are going to do what they're going to do. And they're not necessarily always totally uh, anchored in where the, the, the economy is or even where the earnings cycle is. Uh, but that over time, equities have proven to be a place to win. I heard hawkish. This is I'm <laughs> paraphr- but I'm staying long equities. And that seems to be. I think that's what a lot of I think so many people out there are just sick and tired of being negative that now, you know what, they're just throwing. I believe we're sort of in that caution of the wind. The Fed's going to do what they want to do. On the other hand, you can't bet against the United States. And that's at the point of the cycle we're at right now. Coming up, dividend decisions. Should you bet on high yield names or give money markets a second look? The best place for your money ahead. Plus, the busiest day of earnings season on tap. And our traders are eyeing one name in particular. What to expect when results cross when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money with recession worries still top of mind. Investors increasingly are looking for defensive plays. One possibility, high dividend stocks. Devon Energy, Altria, AT&T and VF Corp have some of the highest yields in the S&P 500. But yields on money market funds are soaring to levels not seen since the financial crisis. Look at that, 4.15%. So we wanted to ask... Would you rather? We're supposed to do that. I thought doesn't. I thought they have like a. Yeah, just smart. Now you're thinking of traded or faded or. Uh, Yeah, well, I thought we somebody. We just got very silent. Rapid or sack? Yeah, that was rapid or sack. Would you rather? And so we asked this because we are talking about yield a lot, and it's like, so do you want to take the risk of losing money in the stock, collecting that yield, or just get? 4% 4% on your money market. Look, AT&T is the perfect example. If you're hanging around for a dividend, you've been destroyed. Yeah. All right? and, and that stock, they, they've, 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 they've destroyed so much capital there. Altria is another story for me. And, and I'm long Altria, and Altria is a name I've been long for probably six years. There have been cycles here, and I think at least I've actually been adding to Altria over the last few months. I've been adding to it over the last couple of weeks into numbers today that were fantastic. Then I was selling some upside calls to goose up that yield. So I am constructive on their business. I'm constructive on, on, on the durability of their earnings profile in a recessionary environment, the free cash flow that they generate. We all know what's going on with the tobacco industry. Um, that's well-flagged and well-priced in, and that's why Altria, to me, is a company that's proven they know how to do this. And by the way, nobody here has ever recommended a stock solely based on the dividend yield. Let's be clear on that, number one. But if you believe in the fundamental company's long-term prospects, that could be a little booster. And Devon Energy is where I would go, because I still think energy works in this environment. It's pulled back from the recent all-time high that we've seen. So that dividend yield, if I'm right, will go down as the stock goes higher. I think they report on the 22nd. Reasonable valuation. Again, the downstream plays have worked. Yes, it's pulled back. A lot of these energy stocks have pulled back over the last week or so. Probably makes a little bit of sense. But I think energy is still going to be a story in 2023. So, Devin. Yeah. Michael, where would you stand on this? Curious. I mean, I, we, we like high-quality dividend pairs. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been there for a while now. Companies that have grown their dividend consistently for 20 years. Um, so we're, we're in the high-quality dividend camp. And they did great last year. And, you know, on a, certainly on a relative basis to the equity market, high-quality dividend pair for me. Well, just to underscore your point, mm-hmm. that it would never be the main reason or the right. first reason to buy a, to buy an equity for me. Um, I won't hold it against them, however, if they right. do have a great dividend. So similar to guys, PXD, uh, you know, it's an energy play. It's very cheap on a PE basis, but we, we know that the whole space is, I think, cheap and very nice dividend. So that's the way I would go. Why not money market funds, though? They seem pretty good, 4%. 
No, we're not dead. Lockhart. I mean, Lockhart doesn't care. I know. He's in Caution to the I mean, wind. 100% yeah. in equities. No, but Amazing. Make, making a call on cash here certainly makes a, makes a lot of sense. And and with the yields that you have right now in in money market or even the short end of the Treasury curve, um, that, look, that that's a very real allocation at this point, and that's a lot better than investing in an equity who's got a four and a half percent dividend yield. I think it depends on what your objective is. Mm-hmm. If, right, if your objective is straight up cash alternative, then a money market fund, short term, you know, Treasuries, that's one thing. If your objective is ultimately to gain some sort of total return, then you either need to go out the treasury curve or you need to have high-quality dividend payers. Coming up, Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, and more all set to report tomorrow. The name that's top of mind for the traders next. That's coming up. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get an update from Meta's earnings call. Gene Munster of Deepwater Asset Management has been listening in. Gene, what's the latest? Melissa Zuckerberg is the only founder, CEO of a large cap tech company, and he is teachable. This call's all been about efficiency and and specifically around Reality Labs, which is a big surprise because that has been a big cost for him. New AI products this year. And if you read between the lines, they're going to be reducing headcount. That may come through attrition or through uh, further layoffs. I hope it's the former. But uh, he's he's definitely shifted script and given investors what they want to hear. All right. Gene, thanks for the update. Gene Munster of Deepwater up 19 percent right now in the after-hour session. Let's get to Amazon, though. One options trader getting bullish on the stock in a big way ahead of earnings tomorrow. Brian Sutlin joins us with the action. Brian. Yeah, they certainly are. You look at the calls outpacing puts two and a half to one. Normally that ratio is about one to one. And with earnings tomorrow, traders are expecting about an 8.6% move in the stock. This call trader, though, expecting even a greater move than that. They were a seller of 60,000 Fed 90 calls. They also bought at the same time 75,000 June 95 calls. With this kind of trade structure, this trader wants to see the stock move about 15% in either direction, either 15% in the upside come June or protect themselves against a big down move below $90. It looks like this trader was rolling out their calls that they had on the 90 strike and rolling them in to June on that 95 strike. So certainly a big move could be coming for Amazon. We've seen all these major mega cap tech stocks make big moves. Maybe Amazon's the next big mover, mover here tomorrow night. 15% doesn't seem so big in light of Meta's 18% move <laughs> tonight. Yeah, right. Brian, thanks. Brian Sutton for more options action. Uh, the full show is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim Seymour. Yeah, we're talking about Altria. I think you're looking at these high-div stocks that are actually companies that are increasing their free cash flow. I like Altria. Karen. Big earnings day tomorrow. I'm going home with the girl that brought me. Yeah. Alphabet. Michael Kantopoulos. You know, I was here in November and I said long-term treasuries, TLH then. We're about 90 basis points less than that now, but growth is slowing. The Fed's ultimately going to slow. I still like long-term treasuries, TLH. Guy. You paid in Mr. Lockhart in a corner. Nobody does that. Newmont Mining. (laughs) He's all in. All in on stocks. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. 
absolutely, positively FedEx. 